0: Alright, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucksters? What the fuckadelics? What the fuckmans? How's it going? I'm Mark Marin. This is my show, WTF. Nice to be here. Nice to, to talk to you. Hope you're doing well. Happy Labor Day. Be careful today. Don't drink and drive. Don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt others. If you're going to drink, try not to cry in public. Try not to cry at family gatherings. Don't cry at the barbecue. Don't be afraid to take a nap. Don't throw up by yourself. Uh, if you're laying down, if you know, if you have enough control, if you know you're going to throw up, you're probably OK, but try not to pass out and throw up laying down. OK, and, uh, you know, take take it easy. Take it easy. Eat some stuff that's shitty for you and, uh, you know, try to be nice to your friends and family today on this holiday day. Today on the show, Bob Guccione Jr., Bob Guccione Jr., who I knew years ago. Bob Guccione Jr. was the uh, creator and editor of Spin Magazine, and now he's uh, there as a guest editor for its 30th anniversary. He's curating 30 iconic stories from the magazine's 30-year history. Like later this week, Spin.com is posting a new video interview with Chris Novoselic. I don't ever know if I pronounce his name right, either of them, of Nirvana, the bass player, if that helps out. Tall fella. And uh, they're republishing Chris's uh, original war reporting from Croatia, which was first in Spin Back in 1993, Guccione and I go back a little bit. We knew each other. They did a small bit on me a million years ago, one of these weird little kind of like, look what's happening kind of uh, pieces. It it was a kind of two-page thing, not on me, but had a bunch of little things, little moments. Had this great picture of me, and Tracy Pepper wrote a little piece on me and quoted a joke that I'd never done before and would never do again that made no sense. I remember, like, this is going to be great. It's going to be in Spin Magazine. I'm like, that fucking joke? It wasn't even a joke. It was a fragment of a joke. It was weird crowd work. Oh, my God. I just saw it as another indicator that I got no luck in the world. Things worked out. That was probably 1992 or three. And then Guccione and I, we kind of, because I was in the magazine, then I wrote a piece. For spin, I wrote a piece for the last page that I worked very hard on with the help of my buddy, Devin Jackson. And then he invited me to like, he used to have these dinner parties. I got to talk to him about this. Maybe I will. But we used to have these dinner parties, like these salon evenings where, you know, he just invited a bunch of random people who were at the cutting edge of something. And he'd just go over there to his place on the West Side and eat pasta and sit around and chat. But I think the idea was to have a compelling conversations about what's happening now, man. Where are we at? And one night, that guy. Do you remember that guy? I think his name was Jaron Lanier. He was like the first, like you know, in, you know, cyber philosopher, computer guy. He had dreadlocks. He's a white guy with dreadlocks. He was on the cover of all the tech mags, or the two that were available then, like Wired, and he was like uh, a thinker man, you know, a futuristic internet computer on the cutting edge of tech at that time, but he was also like this sort of pagany mystic presenter, like he presented himself like he was some sort of little little dreadlocked Buddha of, ka- of a sort, and he immediately bothered me. It bothered me when I saw him on on magazine covers. And there he was. You know, he just said, you got all this press like he was some sort of fucking wizard. And I just remember he's a little kind of roly-poly guy with his dreadlocks and his little beard. And I picture that he perhaps he had a flute or a lute, not a lute, a, a flute or a, a pan flute. That's what I picture. He was playing perhaps a small instrument, a primitive instrument at the salon dinner party at uh, Bob Guccione's house. And I just remember being there. I, I think I must have been with my first wife. And he's just sort of all filled with himself and sitting there eating some pasta. And he goes, I don't think dogs have souls. Dogs definitely don't have souls. And I'm like, oh, God, I got to go. Let's go to a comedy club where people at least are funny. And then he goes, but goats do. Goats definitely have souls. Goats have souls. And I picture he just pick up his pamphlet. (laughs) Oh, my God. That was a rough evening. Rough evening. But I hadn't seen Bob Guccione in a long time. He'd kind of been through it and been around and resurfaced in New York. I thought, why not catch up with him? He had some stuff to say. It was an interesting chat about journalism, the state of things today, and uh, the state of Bob Guccione today. All right, so that's coming momentarily. So I had an embarrassing thing happen. Lately, I've been panicky. I think it's because of my insane caffeine intake. Anxiety is high. And... Uh, Every little thing just happens at the same frequency as every other thing, no matter what the intensity of it is emotionally or psychologically. So as you know, I got some work done on my driveway and a lot of the dudes who were working on the driveway had a picnic on my grass and then it looked like they might have dumped some chemicals on my grass of some kind, some cement chemicals. I don't know. It was a nice outing. We all had burritos and Cokes with lime and hot sauce and uh, I sat there and was unable to communicate with anybody except for smiling and, and occasionally they laughed at me. But uh, after everybody left, it looked like my grass had been through the shit, and I thought it was all dead. And then I go over to my sprinkler timer, which was unplugged. I plug it back in, and it ain't working. Now, there was a time in my life where I would have taken the afternoon to go ahead and fix the sprinkler timer. I tried. I checked the fuses. I checked the lithium battery. Nothing. It didn't matter. It was broken. I opened up the back, and there were several brown widows in there with very weird-looking Egg sacs, very interesting egg sacs, I think the brown widow has it's these little the standard spider egg sac, but they're spiky. They look like little stars, little stars filled with mildly poisonous um arachnopods. But I didn't care, man. I was looking to fix this thing. Couldn't fix it. So I, I panicked. I texted the guy that does uh, my landscaping. Yeah, I have a guy that comes twice a month to 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 cut back cactuses and play with the yard, but he's a great guy. His name's Jose. So I text Jose. Uh, now, I, I need to... I don't, I'm not trying to be insensitive. This is a real thing. Real thing. Jose doesn't really speak English. He's a very sweet guy. doesn't speak English. He's very good at his job. doesn't speak English. So I need to text him because I'm panicking about the sprinkler timer that I'm not sure I, I can fix or I should fix or whatever. So I text Jose, you know, Jose, uh, it's Mark. Timer, no work. So... I, I I try I, I was texting in broken English, uh, don't know what to do, uh, grass brown, uh, please help, so there was that texting, and then he texted back you know a very lucid answer, like, okay, what's going on, uh, I'll, I'll try to, to make it by if there's anything I can do to help, and I'm like, wow, so Jose, it's not great, he doesn't understand the language when I speak it, but he's very proficient uh, reading it and writing it. And I thought that was very impressive. So I go back and forth with Jose all day. So eventually my panic spins into a fucking nightmare. And uh, I realize that the timer is broken and I realize I'm a grown ass man and I can fix this shit myself or, or maybe at least go buy a new timer. So I went to the Home Depot site. I, they had the timer, the new one that that replaced the one that I had. And I went and got that timer and, uh, and I'm texting Jose the whole time. And he's saying, I'm going to be there between four and five. And I'm like, great. I'll be back at four 30. I'm getting a timer. And uh, so I go get the timer and I drive back and there's a, a couple of dudes on my lawn waiting for me. And uh, it's it's the guy that does the plumbing at my house occasionally when I have p- problems with the plumbing. It, his name is Jose as well. And I'm like, oh shit. And I get out of my car and I'm like, holy shit, dude, why are you here? And he's like, I'm here for you. I'm like, oh, I was texting the wrong Jose, which I thought might've been taken the wrong way. Like, See, that's how sensitive things are in the country where i'm like there was nothing insensitive or weird about that it, there, there's many people named jose and a lot of them are are uh, latinos but uh, i said that to uh, jose the plumber who speaks perfect english but i told him I, I i was texting another jose but you're probably the guy that could really fix this actually i got this new timer and he's like oh yeah i can fix that but now i didn't know what else to say because he probably thinks i'm a fucking moron and I don't know. I'm like a like. I seem like a smart guy, but I'm kind of illiterate because I'm texting him, a guy who speaks the language proficient. You know, he's he, that's what he speaks English, and I'm texting him like timer no work. Can you come today? Please help me. So he didn't say anything, and I didn't say anything, and uh, it was okay. Maybe he thinks I'm a moron. It's okay. I can live with that because the timer got fixed. And we set it up and he uh, he came and took care of a drain problem so it was a big day and then today today Jose the the uh, the landscape guy he came to double check the timer and he replaced some uh, some wires and uh, we smiled at each other a lot and laughed and, and I, I tried to tell him that the cactus and back look good and and he goes move them and I'm like no 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 they're, they're good bueno bueno good. But everything worked out, and uh, I know that you were concerned in this time of drought. How much I'm watering my lawn, and do I should I be watering my lawn? Shouldn't I probably be looking into a more indigenous garden? I, yes, I should get an indigenous garden. Is that what they're called? Desert plants. I like them, but I, I don't know, man. I think I'm holding on to something with these plants here. The cactuses look great, but the stuff out front. I think you know, I'm just. My ex-wife planted it and I you know I used to think like I'm I, I keep it because I, I won, you know, that it's my house and now I, I don't know. Maybe it's time to let it go. Maybe I should just burn the fucking house down to grieve my past. No, just the garage standing. No. Just move through it emotionally, like like a normal person. Did I mention Australia? I'm going to Australia. I'm gonna be there. Gonna be in Australia. Gonna be in Sydney. When? I'll tell you, October fifteenth at the State Theater. I'm going to be in Melbourne when October sixteenth at the Palais Palais Theater. I'm going to be in Brisbane when October seventeenth at Brisbane City Hall. There, now you know. Now you know. Now let's go to the hotel where I talked to uh, Bob Guccione Jr. I hadn't seen him in a while. It was nice to talk to him. Enjoy. <laughs> No, you and I didn't sleep together. I think when I met you, I, I can't remember why, but I was with the woman I, uh, who became my first wife. Here's what I remember, is uh, you invited me over for a thing. You used to have these dinner parties. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have these yeah. dinner parties. And all I remember is like, I was totally like- Totally
1: random ones too. Right. Like,
0: weird just, collection of people. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh fuck, what is this? You know, I, <laughs> you know, I was just a miserable comic and I'm like, this sounds fancy and- and I went over to your house. I can't remember. All I remember is that guy, Jaron Lanier was there. Lanier, yeah. Jaron Lanier, yeah. And I was there, and he was there, you know, holding some sort of flute or something. That, that was one a- of the
1: most brilliant scientists is he? in the universe. Is he? Yeah, he, he invented virtual reality. What yeah. does that mean? Well, he, you know, the gloves and the... the yeah.
0: And no, he, I know uh, what it is. No,
1: not the, not the virtual reality the military had. Right, right. Uh, that preceded him. Yeah. But no, he's a... He's, um, a, a brilliant computer scientist.
0: No, I know, I know he yeah. was, and he had. There was yeah. a lot of heat on him, and you know yeah. he's on the cover of Wired magazine, and yeah. you know well, he's he... a, great a great friend. Still,
1: still, still, yeah, S- and used to write for me at Discover. He Discover. That was yeah. what
0: happened after Spin, right, uh, or at the gear. same time. Did
1: gear off the Spin.
0: What? It's all right. Let's go through the like. Where do you live now? In Pennsylvania. Well
1: How the fuck? What? <laughs> like on a farm? No, not quite a farm, but in the woods. In yeah, the woods halfway up a mountain. Okay. Yeah. So you ran away basically yeah, yeah you, little, you yeah, headed yeah. for the hills yeah you, know, you were I, done i, I did literally head to the hills you know i'd been in new york 38 years and i used to say to friends of mine if i'd murdered somebody i'd have been out in 35. <laughs> you know? yeah 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 <laughs> so I, I got a longer sentence but i loved new york yeah. you know when the time you knew me i was enjoying it immensely but after you know i don't know 35 years i was done yeah and so uh eventually moved first to brooklyn which then became instantly like New York Right, I, um, I missed like all that The same that. day I moved in
0: As the moving truck moved away Right, I all the hipsters came in yeah, Just, yeah, a, yeah. just a, a truckload of a uh, pickle pit, makers and mustache you know, wax makers I didn't have
1: a problem with it. it was all of the yuppies Yeah that I found. It's a new, but, Oh, that
0: Park Slope thing The yeah, original thing
1: Yeah, this was, I was in Brooklyn Heights with was the same thing as Park right, Slope Right, right So then um, I went to Mississippi for a year And I taught at Old Miss You taught? Mm-hmm. What did you teach? I taught journalism badly
0: a lot more bad journalists around now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Don't let anybody yeah.
0: teach, you, I guess. Yeah, they do. They literally do. How, so, how long were you down there? A year, just a year. Yeah,
1: fantastic year. Really enjoyed it.
0: So, love the South. Let's go back, man. So now, okay. like, where you grew up in London?
1: I grew up as a kid in London. Born
0: here in New York City.
1: Yeah. Grew up as a kid from the age of two in London till fifteen. We moved as a family. I now had three English-born siblings. Yeah. As a Larger family. We moved back to New Jersey. You moved to Jersey? Yeah, and I was homesick, so the first chance I got, I I left home and and went straight back to England. So you
0: were all living with your dad in Jersey? No, with my uh, mother. Oh. My mum and dad had split, but the
1: family was still close. Yeah. So when Penthouse was hitting here, he wanted to be here. Yeah. So he moved here, and he moved us over, and,
0: you know... But you all sort of got along
1: then. Oh, yeah, very much. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you
0: grew up in the world of Penthouse.
1: I didn't actually. I grew up outside of it. Yeah. You know, I was, grew up with my
0: mum. Yeah, she wouldn't let you in the world of Penthouse. No. no, he wouldn't.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> he
1: smartly, uh, you know, curtailed the competition before it got to be real.
0: It <laughs> 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 kept us from getting uh, in trouble. But That, that magazine you know, seems to have gotten pretty filthy. Yeah, I know.
1: It's a shame. I, didn't, yeah. I, didn't even, I don't even know if it's still publishing, actually.
0: I don't either. But I knew at one point, I think I opened a Penthouse, and I'm like, when do they put cocks into things? Yeah, when did right, that happen? Yeah, yeah. We don't want to see it.
1: But we, we, it's funny we, that the guys
0: don't want to see it. go online for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, they yeah. don't want to see it? Not like... Uh, I mean, I don't know. Do you? I don't. Well, no, I, if I'm going to look at porn, but for some reason, I always made this separation that uh, yeah, 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 that, yeah. that uh, those magazines were, you know, it was sort of surprising. It's weird, because I'm no stranger to porn. Yeah. But, you know, when you look at Penthouse, just historically, in your mind, when you're a kid, it was just the pretty girls and... yeah. And, and then all of a sudden it's sort of like oh there's no mystery anymore. This exactly, it was yeah. a
1: mystery. That's what my old man used to always say, it was really? about the romance and the mystery. Really? You know,
0: he pioneered
1: a style of um, photography based on economics, which was that he offered when he had no money he offered 10 pounds an hour for um photog- for nude models. Yeah. In England that was double that was that was the weekly wage. Right. So all these girls were turning up. Yeah. And he would photograph them while they were getting undressed, photograph them for about 20 minutes, say, put your clothes back on, photograph them putting their clothes on. At 45 minutes, you say, we're done. And he hand them £7.50. <laughs> they thought they had a full day of £10 an hour. And he did it. And what he f- created was his voyeurism. Yeah. And it's actually far more exciting to see a woman getting undressed. Right. That to every, every male who is sexually right, right. active with women it is the moment we know it's going to happen right right and he he just pioneered that whole style so that it was always about romance and mystery and i I always kept that in my head as a very very important element to to all publishing whatever the field you know yeah it should have romance it should have mystery right and and we but you learned publishing from him you think yeah definitely without a doubt yeah I, i i did develop eventually my own instincts but but no i i was you know Tutored Chew- by a master.
0: Right. At what age did you go into like the office and learn the nuts and bolts of that shit?
1: Oh, very early. I mean I you know, was working I had my own magazine eighteen in England. What was that? It was a step by step guide to Kung Fu. <laughs>
0: really? <laughs> and it sold?
1: Yes. Very well. It was when Bruce Lee had just died, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it made people interested. Yeah. So I made a little bit of money. But it was, it was a very tiny thing in was England. I thought if I'm working this hard I'll go back to America. I and mean, what year was
0: that? So that see the that. That was is- nineteen seventy four. Right, so it was before, like, cuisine culture became later. So you were actually yeah. working in real publishing. Really? I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I was. Did you know Kung Fu or no? You just, no, <laughs> no.
1: We found a guy who did. Yeah. Chi uh, Su. I remember his name all these years later. Chi Su. Chi Su. He's yeah. an expert, and uh, we just did a move by move. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the night before we went to press, my partner and I, this guy Richard and I, who'd done the book, we'd written it and yeah. designed it together, um, we said, we'd better actually practice these moves to make sure that we, we it was fact checking yeah so all night long he would throw me break my arm i'd break his <laughs> arm he yeah. would break it we'd get to the point right where to break kick each other punch each other right to see if these worked and some moves no matter how many times we did it we couldn't quite get it right we said ah hell let it go yeah. you know it's right. too late yeah yeah It's you know, in. Whatever.
0: It maybe we just don't understand yeah, we don't understand it somebody yeah. gets it you know? so that, that was, was your first taste of publishing
1: that was it yeah then i came back to america and did a uh a, a rock and roll poster magazine which was a single issue again
0: with a poster now it, who was putting the money up for that your old man
1: in the, the, the kung fu thing was my friend and I
0: you just did we it we did it and we yeah.
1: found it, we got to, to back us yeah. for the princely sum of 5,000 yeah. pounds which, which did it and yeah. uh, in America my father backed me for the poster magazine right. and that broke even and I was just exhausted so I stopped then I came back and worked for him to launch Omni And then, I remember Omni yeah and a few years after that I I left to write, and I got married, and I got unmarried, and, you know. Um, you were
0: married once before? Twice. So this uh, is your third twice marriage? Twice before today. Twice yeah. before today. So you're on your third one?
1: <laughs> no, 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 I'm not married right now.
0: Oh, you're not? No, no, no. I, I'm with a woman I've been with for a long time. Oh, okay. Uh,
1: Liza Lentini yeah. playwright. Okay. I've been for a very long time. Uh, Twelve years. Yeah. But, but uh, no, I was married to this woman in England, and we got married, and I came back, and I a couple of years later, thought up spin. Uh-huh. Uh, and started that, not knowing what I was doing. You know, you do little things, that's one thing. You do a big magazine, that was entirely different. Well, so Omni we was pretty spin... big, but that was your dad's magazine. Yes,
0: that was his. It, that was a science magazine. It was the yeah. first real kind of like uh, cool science magazine?
1: First and last.
0: Oh, yeah. Let's, let's face it, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: I like to think when I owned Discover for a couple of years that I made it better. Right. But never made it as good as Omni. Yeah. Because Omni was birthed with this sense of wonder. Right. Discover was not. By the time it came to me, I was like the fourth owner of it by that point. And it was very dull and it was kind of like trying to inject a bit of enthusiasm and curiosity into it, which we did. We absolutely did. And the magazine did become much more successful while I was there. But um, it wasn't born with that sense of wonder. And that was a great thing about Omni. It was open-minded it was curious
0: i kind of remember it because i was a kid that was in the 70s yeah yeah because i remember it kind of being a cool magazine i knew i didn't understand it but the but i remember the uh the pictures were great Mm -hmm. like it was like really visual like there was like there was a lot of things to look at in there right but i was sort of a kid but i i knew it was dealing with big shit it was yeah, exciting exactly, yeah exactly yeah
1: that was the subhead <laughs> yeah, omni
0: big shit <laughs> 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 so okay so what so you go off to so you're in publishing you burn out after <clears throat> the poster magazine then you go do you do what for you do omni for a little while and then you split for a while yeah you, well
1: i i, I segregated from omni to running the penthouse circulation but then after that i wanted to always wanted to write yeah so i thought well, i better stop and actually write right I found out I wasn't a very good writer. <laughs> I mean, I think now I've become a little better, but I wasn't good then, right. demonstrably so. Yeah. So that wasn't going anywhere. And um, one day the idea for Spin came to me. It just came to me. I tell the story and people never really kind of believe it, but it came to me in less than a second. It was a vision of, of the pages literally just floated in front of my eye. I saw the typography, I saw the layout, lots of white space, you know, we kind of pioneered that look, certainly, I think maybe in any magazine. On the page. Yeah, certainly in a a youth culture magazine, lots of white space, lots of drama, the type offset by the picture, the picture dictating everything. Um, I saw it going across the whole spectrum of music from, you know, obviously the new wave stuff that was hot then that we were listening to, my age group. Uh, We would skip past mainstream pop, but we would go into even things like African music and you know, we yeah. did that for anybody. Um, and I also saw the non-music element, the quirky being important, which I, I still think is vital, um, and investigative journalism. It all came to me at once. The name did not. I had no idea what to call it. Um, but I could see it all. And then I just like, got frightened. You know, like when you get sleep paralysis. Yeah. And you suddenly wake up and you're like, what was that? It must have been a dream. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's a good idea, but I can't do it. Right. You know, how do I know how to do it? And I didn't think about it again. Six weeks later, and I'm not an early riser. I, I get up at 8.39, that's early. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I don't like getting up early. I woke up, bolt upright at 6 in the morning, like in a movie, just yeah. sat, bolt upright, 45 degree angle, and this voice said to me, it, you know, it, it's, not a, it's not up to you, it's a vocation. Right. This isn't the question. Yeah. You know, you're not being asked, the question, would you like to, this is a vocation. Yeah. And I got up and went straight to the office, Penthouse, where I, I didn't have an office, but I found a space that was empty. Right. And I started drawing. Really, and I said, and all those ideas came back, and I started drawing them out, and I still didn't have a name, and for for weeks, and then one day uh, someone was sitting in my office, and I was using an analogy. I said, you know, it's all the way like it's like the way records spin. Right. I went, oh, spin. That's a good name. He yeah. said, ah, it sucks. I went, yeah. yeah, you're right. And then two days later, I said, no, that's the right name. That's the name. Yeah, and that was it. And the, the idea for me was that spin. If you're spinning, you're happy. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. a, very subconscious. There's none of this is conscious. Um, I'm really conscious, as you know, because yes. you know me. <laughs> um, but this was subconscious—that it was meant to be about joy, meant to be out happy. It, you were meant to feel elevated and yeah. light. Right. You know, otherwise, what was the point? You know, it was all about—you're at a point in your life when you're supposed to be really, really discovering and enjoying. Right. And it was all that was there. Consciously looking back on it, 30 years later, I can tell you what I was thinking at the time. It was just, just an instinct. It was yeah. Like this should have fun. It should have humor. What year was that? I forget. What no, nineteen eighty five. Nineteen eighty five. Don't forget after everything I just remembered, <laughs> trust me I didn't forget the year. Do you want the day? <laughs> you know the day?
0: I know the day of the first issue, went March nineteenth. Nineteen eighty five. Yeah. Well, I can't remember, was that the Madonna issue? Who was on the yeah. cover? Absolutely, yeah. Madonna was the first cover. That's right. I think I still have that. Really? Like, I have the Madonna issue, and there were, when was the Talking Heads? That was like shortly after, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah,
1: that may have been the second issue, actually. Right. The yellow cover, right? right? Second issue, second issue. I Dark wonder Nets. if I
0: still have that. they worth anything? Yeah, go on eBay. It's amazing. Yeah. Really? Not yeah. much. Yeah, did my you girlfriend
1: owe? and I lived on eBay uh, one day just for fun. And yeah. Like, it's like $200 for this. Get it out of warehouse. <laughs> Get out of storage. I like, 50 of each copy. <laughs> we're rich. You don't still have
0: that shit, dude.
1: I do. You do? Yeah. You know what it was? I saw. Store... You have every issue somewhere in yeah. boxes? In storage. Yep. Are they archived properly? No, they're just in boxes. <laughs> uh, but, but each one, each box is 50. The printer sent.
0: Okay, so you have a big stack. Yeah. yeah, big stack. Big, of big, each. big, big, yeah. Um, mint, I no sold, the, mag- I I sold the, the magazine
1: there. when the when the storage room got full, I said, you know. <laughs> it's over, yeah. <laughs> but what, but did it, did it sell right out of the gate? It well, it was small numbers, but right. it did sell. You know, we put small numbers
0: out, and your dad was bankrolling you initially. That was it, yeah. He initially, did.
1: he did, uh, which was wonderful, yeah. He believed in it very much. Um, and you know, in the beginning, we sold very well yeah. for what we put out, right? Um, and within a few months, we were selling hundred thousand or so copies, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you put out two hundred, it was a lot. Mm. Uh, and certainly Rolling Stone wouldn't have noticed at that point. You know, they wouldn't have paid
0: any attention. Well, I remember it sort of had some weird credibility, like it was kind of it, not essentially underground, but it was like sort of like, what is this? This is the yeah. new thing. And who are the guys? Like, I, I know structurally on some level, as an editor, you you knew you had to get a crew, yeah, in there. Of, of writers and guys and women that you could depend on. Who were those original guys?
1: Well, they were gr- a great bunch. And none of us, myself included, knew what we were doing. Right. And I, I mean that. We did. We, we had great ideas. We were good writers. And they were great
0: writers. Who were some of those writers?
1: Uh, Glenn O'Brien. Yeah. Uh, James Truman who yeah. went on to become editorial director of Condé Nast. Glenn O'Brien's a very famous writer now. Uh, Scott Cohen, who was maybe the most talented of all, but he died young. Unfortunately, he died... Illness in his early forties. Um, a woman called Jessica Barron, who went back to England. She was from England. She was James's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. She was brilliant. Is brilliant. I still read her sometimes uh, in the papers. Um, a woman called Sue Cummings, who was an intern, who we very quickly just said, "Oh, you can write this column because you know what you're doing." And and uh, you know, uh, I know I'm forgetting some people, yeah, sure. but the early writers included John Leland, who's now a big staff writer at the New York Times, one of their best writers. And a guy called Bart Bolt. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, I'm not sure they were in the first issue. They were definitely in the second. And the wonderful thing about that in those days, we didn't know what we were doing, but we knew what we liked. And I would read the, um, the literally the underground press, yeah. the Boston Phoenix, the um, New Times of Arizona, the LA Weekly. You'd read all these, and you'd see these great voices. Yeah. And it sounds like a weird metaphor. Right. See great voices, but you would read great writing that had a voice. Yeah. And I would just phone them up. Yeah. I say, hey, you want to write for Spin? yeah, sure. That's cool. Yeah, right. You know, well, I don't those, write. Yeah. yeah, and you know, we gave them the opportunity to write things that were a little more adventurous than Rolling Stone had not even bothered to take their phone calls. Basically, right? They were trying to get into Rolling Stone. I'm trying to get them to me. Right? Um, and we were blessed. we yeah. were blessed with this fantastic centrifugal force that brought all these great people together. Um, and we had humor. You know, right. it was very obvious in the beginning. We were going to have humor. We had a humorous take. We didn't take ourselves seriously, Yeah. you know. And I used to say we we, we kicked the sacred cows.
0: Did you Did you cause any uh, major controversy in the first few uh, years? Yeah, oh god. Like yes. what? I can't remember. Pretty much
1: immediately, I'll, I'll tell you just quickly because um, it's it's a great story. But in our th- third issue, we got time, right? Yeah. Uh, no, you know, uh, everyone was talking about Tina Turner right. in 1985, who was one of the biggest stars in the world at the time, and she was going on and on. A bit over the top, perhaps, about, I was beaten by Ike. Ike beat me. Yeah, did yeah, I tell you? Did yeah. I mention Ike beat me? Yeah. And so she had, what's love got to do with it? Massive hit and all the yeah, rest yeah. of it. But, but she did think, as did most people, that Ike was dead. But as it turned out, we I, I, were having a editorial meeting, and I said to myself, well, forget it, Tina. Why don't we go find Ike? Right. I think I remember this. Yeah. So this brilliant investigative reporter called Edward Kirsch, who did not return my emails for the record, if he's listening, I said to him, we're we're doing this 30th anniversary thing, I want you to be part of it. Yeah. Uh, Anyhow, he went and found him. It took weeks. And he found him basically homeless in LA. Really? Yeah. Drugged out, homeless, had been in prison. Um, And he finally convinced him to do an interview, and it was a fantastic piece. And that was our fourth issue. Annie Lennox was on the cover. We didn't put Ike on the cover. Right. Nobody recognized him, right? Um, And uh, we headlined it what's Ike got to do with it and it absolutely struck people that spin you know rolling stone does tina right spin does ike right and it was still a long time before we were commercially successful about 300 years i think and he <laughs> many co- years but it, yeah. but but that did set the impression right away
0: but he copped to it did yes he? yeah
1: he said famously um if somewhat politically incorrectly, yeah. he said sure i beat but I didn't beat her any more than the average man beats his wife that's a real quote (laughs) I mean but that's where he came (laughs) from look uh, we don't forgive, we don't excuse that and forgive him we didn't in the article but I thought it was important in the article to show his side number Uh one and also to show he was more than that man who beat his wife who was a drug addict uh, he's sort of a genius he he invented rock and roll yeah I mean partly by accident Rocket 88 right exactly you wouldn't know your stuff (laughs) do you know this story no what happened was uh, he was driving to Memphis to do a recording session yeah and the car leaked and water got into his amp yeah when he got there he and his musicians set up their equipment and they realized the amp was ruined yeah so he uh had to take newspaper and wedge it up into little balls under the woofer to stabilize the woofer right when they played the feedback was all very muddy
0: yeah
1: and it was like early grunge sort of thing. Right, it was right Very muddy when he heard that he changed his piano style to a thumping piano style and it became the first rock song. Right. And years later, um, yeah, Little Richard copped to the fact that he stole note for note the uh, piano stylings of Rocket 88 for Tutti Frutti. No kidding. Yeah, so it really was a great song. I'm not even sure we told that story in that article because I don't think we knew it and I don't think you brought it up. But um, I've since learned the the significance wow. of Actona. It was fun reliving it, and I think it's fun for, I hope, desperately, it's fun for new spin readers learning about some of the stuff that was done before they were born.
0: Well, I think I, I, think I remember wh- how we actually, like, I know that the, there was a little piece in the magazine about me with a picture, Right. I think you hired me to write a back page once. Yes,
1: absolutely. I That's remember. right. Yeah.
0: That's sort of how we became yeah, yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember now. It's I so thought w- it
1: was early in those gay baths, but you're right. It wasn't,
0: yeah. uh, no, no, in, the gay baths for me, yeah. that, that was, uh, I don't remember you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, you're losing yeah, listeners I'm losing credibility. <laughs> Excellent. So all right so that goes to how long were you how long was spin your thing? I mean how long were you there? I mean twelve and a half years. So that was from 85 to 90 whatever. 97 yeah. Now what was it what was the the big schism uh between you and your father?
1: Well it's it's a long story but the the, the brief and and you know worthwhile Answer that question is. Penthouse was rocked by the uh, moral times, you know, the moral scandals. Uh, you know, the Four Wells The
0: Meese Commission. The Meese Commission. F- Four so, what mid eighties. Yeah, yeah, it
1: was really the Ra- really inspired by Reagan's yeah. uh, you know, administration, to clamp down on on on.
0: You know, and pussy pictures. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. you
1: put put it better than I would have. Yeah. Um And so this impacted the Penthouse Company, you know, by fifty percent of its
0: revenues. Which fifty percent of its revenue. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. It cost them two million copies. of The number of stores that threw the magazine out. And now you, they were still making money, right? Penhouse, but Penhouse had meanwhile grown into this massive, multi-titled company, most yeah. of which were losing money, and one of which was Spin, which was still, you know, losing. Uh, so in the startup phase of yeah. a couple of years, so still losing. But um, Penthouse was the only company that's, I mean, sorry, spin was the only division Penthouse didn't own. It was done as a, um, uh, you know, a, a, a fran- franchise so that I would actually own it once I'd paid back the money, Penthouse, in right, France, right. which we were on track and doing. Yeah. But um, so at that point, my father said, you have to
0: just give me Spin."
1: And I said, well, no. Because I mean, he was I,
0: cutting is, his losses? He was-
1: well, yeah, he was He was embarrassed, I think, that some of his other losing companies, you know, were losing. But they were saying, but, but Spins, you don't even own spin. You're yeah. actually winding him up. And and so we had a falling out of that. I said, no, no, I said, y- you know, I will pay you back. I will raise money and pay you and give you a profit. Yeah. But that's not an issue. Yeah. The issue is you can't. You know, you can't take away that right. is mine. Right. We have an agreement. Right. You know, it's based on that agreement. I've honored it all the way. Right. You have drawn to it too. Yeah. So, well, I'm going to cancel it. I so, well, if you cancel it, that's your choice. But yeah. then the magazine becomes entirely mine. Right. And so it, he says, but you have no money. I says, but I will find money. Yeah. You know, so why don't you let me find money and pay you back? Right. And then you'll be happy. But yeah. if you throw me out, yeah. You know, you, I don't owe you anything. Right. So anyway, this, was, this went on for a while. And there's father and son dynamics, of course, in there. Broiled. The sad thing is, the sad thing is not that he threw me out. Right. We went on, of course, to do very well. The sad thing is we didn't talk for 18 years. Ugh. And we re- reconciled a few years before he died, six years before you he did? died. You did? You reconciled? Yeah, yeah. It was beautiful. I, I often tried, and he was still too you know, stubborn. stubborn. Really? And uh, as fathers are, Sicilian fathers particularly. Yeah. And then one day he called me up out of blue. He actually had somebody call me and say, come over for dinner. And I thought it wasn't real. I thought somebody was just <laughs> was gonna, trying to get me he, to come. there. He's going to
0: kill you. Yeah,
1: really <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, no, I thought he was just going, he didn't know about it. I thought right. somebody was just oh, nicely yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. put us together. Yeah. But finally the person called me back and said, no, no, it's really serious. He can't talk. He's had throat cancer and he can't talk well on the phone. And he's insecure about, if you haven't heard his voice for a long time, he's insecure about you hearing it, uh-huh. but he wants you to come. And I thought, what, well, I got to lose. I mean, the worst is he throws me out. He right, right. away at the door, and I right. go away. But I did go, and he embraced me at the door, and that was it. Did you cry? Oh, yeah.
0: Did he? Not him.
1: Not We didn't cry then. Yeah. I did later, absolutely. Really?
0: Because it was just the cries of joy. It's so long, dude. 18 yeah. years. It's horrible. Well, it was horrible. a life, lifetime. Yeah, it's horrible.
1: Yeah, it is. And it's weird, and it's tough. And, you know... um, I never didn't love him. Yeah. The whole time. I believe he never didn't love me. Yeah. He had his stubbornness, and I, to a degree, had mine. Pride. Yeah. Exactly. A fucker. Before the fall, baby. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm so happy we reconciled. And so was he. And I was with him when he died. And, you know, we really, really got back to being very close. What and a very fucking loving. relief. Totally. totally. Could you imagine Absolutely. if
0: that went on and he died and you didn't have yeah, to no. that?
1: Yeah exactly. Ugh. I used to tell myself look if he dies and we don't reconcile that's okay that's life but right, you know right. what that, that wouldn't have been the way I felt. But you know so it's I was right? right?
0: Happy. Oh god damn. Well good yeah. for you man. Oh no, I
1: got well good for him. He 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 finally you know opened the door and Yeah. And it was wonderful. And you
0: weren't even expecting it. No 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 room. And you have other siblings too. I do yeah. And you get along with them?
1: For the record, I get along with them. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: you never had kids. I haven't. I still want them. We really? still want them. Yeah. What are you going to do about that? Well, I'm going to have to find a way of doing that. We 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 want them. My, yeah. My, I mean, I want them, and uh, you know, so we'll have them at some point.
0: So now, like in in the history of spin, you got in trouble a few times. Yeah like uh, like i i like i was, start, I was trying More to start, <laughs> yeah i was trying to wrap my head around because you you know you had a certain swagger at some point as i recall
1: for about an hour or two <laughs> yeah in <had> my moments <laughs>
0: <laughs> well what the fuck happened i mean did you did you you never lost did you lose the magazine no at one point no 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 well you got in trouble for what sexual harassment no well we got sued the company did
1: um And because of my name being famous, not because of me, but because of my father, uh, there was an attempt to, I call it legally blackmail us, to settle. Right. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. And I could have got out for a fifth of what I paid to defend the suit. But I said, you know, I will never feel good about myself giving in to this blackmail. I said, we didn't do anything wrong. What was the case? It was a a hostile environment case. You know, this was very popular. From one one person was suing you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, a lawyer went out trawling fucking ex-employees. Those motherfuckers. Oh, yeah. And I've pointed out since, you know, um, many times I've pointed out that in those years, we were just about the only magazine that wasn't a woman's magazine that had women editors and women staff writers who got a salary just to write and ton of women contributors i mm-hmm. said so we have more bylines by women than any magazine being published in america from time through down to except for women's magazines which of course were, were written in time yeah. by women but um so we gave a lot of first chances you know elizabeth gilbert a mm-hmm. famous writer now mm-hmm. i was her first boss i, mm-hmm. I found her mm-hmm. and hired her and made her a staff writer right right in the beginning and there's a dozens more like that so I resisted this attempt to just get us to pay off a few hundred grand just because somebody wanted to make a career right I said no bring it we went to court we won you know we, we uh, prevailed completely and the um, law firm almost went out of business and they actually got rid of the, I think they got rid of the lawyer she said she left
0: and what was the other trouble no more
1: serious? oh I mean you know I was always in like I was always politically incorrect in terms of the music industry and you know just uh, we expose a lot of people and well one of the great articles we did and we'll run this too i think is um you're
0: still in the process of editing this thing yeah yeah you yes. just started how long have you been going a couple of months so what are you doing you're putting them up online as you sort of put them together
1: yeah well we, we know what they're going to be now um we have a couple of open slots we're not quite sure but one of them should be the you know do you remember guns and roses yeah us? you remember the band but at a certain point of their popularity And Spin was the very first to ever
0: write about him. I remember the article that you wrote. Like I remember there was a piece that turned me on to Guns N' Roses because I was living in an attic in Somerville, Massachusetts, probably 88 or 89. And I think that someone in Spin wrote a piece about how the album was released and it didn't sell. And then, all of a sudden, it was like re- it was rediscovered. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that how it worked with yeah. them? Like, yeah, they yeah. put it out to nothing. And That's then, right. I think Spin Magazine decided it was the greatest rock and roll record around.
1: It was a be- we said it was one of the best albums of the year. Right. And we nominated them as one of the 10 artists to watch in the next year.
0: And they, they went unnoticed, basically. Absolutely. Right. They were
1: unnoticed. They were, I uh, think they may have been dropped, but they, I don't right. know that, but they, were, they were not going anywhere. Right. But anyway, a couple of years later, they're big, big bang. Right. And so they sent out a contract to every media outlet that said, if you want to interview us, you have to agree that we control the interview, we edit it, we write the captions, and if you change any of that, you have to give us $100,000. And we own it, by the way. You don't own it. What? Know? So every, you know, all the oh. self-respecting...
0: Was that some Axel shit or what? Was it? Was it oh, I'm sure it was. Yeah. I mean,
1: who knows? But anyway, we, uh, everybody who meant real journalism said when I signed that. So one of my editors said, Bob, you should write an editorial about this. I said, no, let's publish the contract. So We printed the contract, showed what idiots they were. Yeah. And as we were going to press, literally as the cover was leaving the art department to go to the messenger to take it to the airport, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Add this line of text to the very top. How to get your own guns and roses interview, page nine or whatever it was. Right. And that was it. We typeset that. We added that. And the messenger waited, and then he took it off. Right? Yeah. Well, ten thousand kids took it seriously, signed the contract, and mailed it into Guns N' Roses' office. No, we never. I just meant it's like, sort of. Quite frankly, fuck you, Guns yeah. N' Roses. But the kids took it seriously, so took- they were now deluge with box upon box arriving daily of signed contracts, mail. Hey, were they legal? I signed it. When can yeah. I, yeah. I? When can I have this interview? Yeah. And they had. To, they were embarrassed, and they had to sort of write back and say, "No, this isn't the way it works." Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, at that point, uh, I said to my staff, I said, find out who this guy is.
0: Just the guy who go to the Indiana. Contract? Yeah. No,
1: no, no. Find out who Axel Rose right. is. Right. You know, we've just taken him as Axel Rose. Right. But he wasn't born Axel Rose. Right. Uh, and he had a f- life in Indiana. So we sent a reporter out. And the reporter did, like, an investigative piece, as you would do on a politician running for the presidency, yeah. And uh, found out he was a bit of a prick, frankly. Um, and that was a great piece. And after that, he wrote that song, Get in the Ring. Which he, you know, to you. he challenges me to a fight and all yeah, that shit. Yeah. Well, the thing is, he challenged me and Andy from Hit Parader and one or two other writers. Hit but, Parader. But he but he really goes on to the chorus about, you know, you, you you weren't getting as much pussy as your dad and blah, blah, blah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And you're, you know, you're a wimp, get in the ring. Yeah. Well, at the time, I was studying full contact karate. Yeah. Four times a week, I got in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, and I was way into it for many years at yeah. that point. You know, I think when I knew you, right. I, I was way into it. And so I just called up Geffen Records and said, Well, when? Yeah. When do you want to do that? It's <laughs> fine by me. Uh, and I promoted it because it helped sell magazines. Right, sure, me. sure. I, yeah. I didn't want to fight him. Yeah. Uh, I was glad there never was a fight. It would have been the pointless. response. In the end, he backed down. He yeah. He said, I'm not fighting him, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the point was A, A, I'm not going to let somebody call me out. Yeah. You know? Sure. And B, certainly not in a song. And uh, see, it sold some magazines, and I had fun with it. And well, that's interesting, that because
0: I'd forgotten there was all those magazines that preceded Spin that were pretty great rock magazines, you know, like uh, Cream. Yeah, the right? old Cream. The old the Cream, Cream was Cream, great. Right. Crawdaddy. Circus, was that circus one? Circus
1: was great. Circus became kind of like just a sort of MTV, right. heavy metal right, right. echo. Crawdaddy
0: and, and but, but Cream. But the original
1: Circus was... You know, back in the early 70s was yeah. a real magazine, you know. Did you ever work with... And the, the granddaddy and what was Rolling Stone. I mean, that really was the first countercultural
0: magazine. Now, when Spin started to pick up speed, did you ever have words with Jan Wenner? Or oh, often. It? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah.
1: In, in the press, we would poke each other. And then we'd run into it somewhere and have a chat. How are you? How's your family? Yeah. You know, what's yeah. going on? Right. You know, did you see the Mellencamp show? I thought I saw you there. You know? Yeah. It was very nice and cordial, and he was always very gracious. I hope he thinks I was gracious. And then the next day, we back in the press going, ah, oh, Rolling Stone's full of shit. Right? say, ah, oh, spin's meaningless. <laughs> you know? And then we'd run each other at Michael's Restaurant in New How are you? How know? are you, Bob? It was business. business. Pure business, yeah. Yeah. This
0: isn't personal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is just business. <laughs> right. <laughs> Words before dying. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so now you're in town. Now where, where do you... Like, there's a couple of issues we talked about, I mean, in terms of of where the world is now and what publishing really means now, because it seems to me that one thing that Spin did, and I think Rolling Stone did it, but with a little more type of, uh, there was a, a... kind of a, a classish you know they they they, they postured but i mean they, it seemed that the agenda of spin initially was to sort of uh, like you said be open-minded embrace all new forms of music mm-hmm. you know integrate you know the whole landscape of music and, and pop culture uh that was relevant and 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 also journalistic into this one magazine which rolling stone kind of did but had been drifting so what do you think you inspired? What do you think the meaning of Spin, you, you know, now is to people? I mean, because I know it's, n- it's no longer a published magazine. Right. Yeah, but no what do you print. feel like when you think about Spin, what did you contribute to the world of publishing?
1: Well, that's a lovely question. Nice. I mean, I appreciate the implication behind that question. I do think we contributed a lot. And I think I perhaps guided that effort. Yeah. I wanted to be honest with the reader. And I don't know how much you get that these
0: days. Mm-hmm. frankly hate to say it we this live in a click clearly, bait, clickbait culture
1: yeah and also politically correct
0: mm-hmm. nothing
1: can ever be anything but politically correct you know there's only one opinion
0: the prescribed opinion for the most part there's a faceless momentum oh yeah it's gutless, of, 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 gutless. Of, it's gutless but it's also impulsive yeah and and what's interesting to me is i i think about it more because i'm, I'm becoming mildly obsessed with with some of this uh you know because i interviewed me the, too i be, i interviewed the president though And he said he said something interesting about the incremental growth of democracy, that that nothing happens in a democracy overnight now. And I think a lot of what people are getting set up. Yeah. You know, it's just a very slow process. And and the weird thing is about gay marriage or anything else or even what, you know, I think politically correct is also a buzzword for for defending something that I think if you really investigate it uh, it, personally, it might not be worth defending on some level. The idea of political correctness is certainly troublesome sometimes if it's misused but a lot of times people you know there there is a, a there is a, a growth period like gay marriage, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot of people who are not religious fanatics that are uncomfortable with gay marriage, and right. they're like, oh, fuck, the fags are going to get married. What's right. the world coming to? <laughs> yeah. But but 10 years from now, those same people very likely would be like, eh, who cares? Exactly, right. Those so, exact so,
1: same people, yeah. Right,
0: so it evolves into sort of like, I guess, you know, what are you, you going to do? It's fine. They don't have to agree with right. it ultimately, and they can hold their opinion, but ultimately culture has to evolve. Right. Well, and and it's just slow that's a slow process. he's
1: very right, but you know what, I th- I have an issue with political correctness, which is I think it's an intellectual and emotional, societal, cultural laziness
0: Mm -hmm. and cowardice. Mm -hmm.
1: Because I I was on a panel once with Hunter Thompson and, um, you know…
0: When he was still together…
1: Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I didn't know him at the age of five. This you know? was a panel, uh, he was still alive, clearly, uh, but he was way drunk at nine in the morning. We are yeah. NYU. Doug Brinkley was running it. Allen Ginsberg was on the panel. It was supposed to be about the beat generation, uh-huh. and I was literally on the wrong panel. I mean, right. I was asked to be on it, but I wasn't in the right. beat generation. Right. But anyway, Hunter Thompson's talking, and he's saying, American Indians, American Indians, and there's a woman in the front row, she kept going, Native Americans, Native Americans. So finally I said, Hunter, may I, may I interrupt? I said, is it you know, you want to call them Native Americans? Well does anybody here know there was a thousand plus people in NYU auditorium? Yeah. I said, does anybody realize that this is the exact year that most of the land leases the American government bought from the Indians come up? They're actually now the land reverts legally to the American Indian. I said, so we can argue about calling them Native Americans and American Indians, but let me just posture this. Who here wants to pay more taxes so the government can buy that land legally? In the many tens of billions of dollars that it is now worth, so it's going to cost us, the people, the taxpayers, many tens of billions more than we pay in taxes. So who's for it? In a room of a thousand, three hands went up. I said, "Well, I appreciate you doing. That. I think you're lying, but even if you're not, good for you. But that's the only thing that matters. What do you think an American Indian cares if you've got a Native American? Give them the money for their damn land. Right. It's their land. We yeah. took it." Yeah. It, it was issue. time for us to debate. It was the but exact but year. Most of but them that was didn't even thing. know the issue. Probably. No, of course not. Yeah. No, of course not. But they all knew the issue about the name change, and you know, I've always, my back goes up, my hair goes on edge, when I hear this faux, you know, faux culture, this faux revolution, phoniness gets me. I don't want to. I don't want to sound so, you know, strident. But I am on this issue, perhaps, and you know, as an editor all my life now, which is, you know. 40 years of being a professional editor Mm -hmm. off and on um, mostly on I've always striven for that truth when I had Discover Magazine I had editors quit because I did articles they found politically incorrect like Like, what? well very early on uh, the uh, whole climate um, change debate we published an interview with um, Bjorn Logstrom I think his name is who was then recognized as one of the leading climatologists in the world I mean people didn't do anything without checking with him first and he said in this interview, he said, you know, we don't really have great data on climate change. We don't really been looking for it. He says, but ironically, in my lab, we've been looking at something for seven years every minute of the day, for every second of the day for seven years, and it's sunspot activity. He says, in actual fact, we found a correlation of 100% between sunspot activity and the Earth's temperature. So solar storms, when they are directed at the Earth, because, of course, they're also not directed at the Earth, but when they're directed at the Earth, influence the temperature, 100% correlation, mm-hmm. 100%. It's, right. it, it's parallel lines for seven years. Mm-hmm. He says, so clearly, yeah, we're warming up, but it, the sun has a lot to do with it. Well, I had an editor literally quit, and others threatened to quit. They didn't. This they, was what year? At Discover in the year 2006 or 7. Uh-huh. And I, I remember saying to this group, I had to call it editor. meeting. Hold on, I said. Listen, let me tell you something. First of all, the, the magazine is publishing this article word for word, and I'm final editing it, top editing
0: it. But it's not. You're not denying climate change. No, of course not. No, no, you're no, not no, denying no, the slightest the postulation of human responsibility for it. But you're 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 presenting. I'm presenting another science Some Science.
1: And I said to them in this meeting, I said, science, mm-hmm. the actual definition of science, is to prove a theory wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people. generally anyone once said this to me. There are scientists who say, we haven't really proven gravity. Because, if you talk to the physicists who talk about many dimensions, they say gravity is too weak to be actually a force in the universe Mm -hmm. so it's one of the forces but there are others Mm -hmm. so i mean there's that kind of open-mindedness to science that makes science fantastic (laughs) and here were a bunch of science editors and writers sitting around complaining and stamping their little feet because this was a politically incorrect thing to publish
0: so they didn't want to be uh associated with climate change denying
1: You're right it was even before the phrase came up right it was that early so i said listen i said the truth is the truth and the truth about science is that it's never black and white. Mm-hmm. I said, so why is it that only one set of voices should be heard? Mm-hmm. I said, we know, we know from hearing from scientists. that uh, I said, yeah, you know because they told you. But there's another group, by the way, very credible, who have another point of view. That has to be included. So, yeah, I'm not a, um, I'm not a denialist. You know what I am? I'm a um, hysteria skeptic. Yeah. And when he gets hysterical, when I saw, uh, I saw Al Gore give his presentation that became the movie, The Inconvenient Truth, at TED, back in 2005, 2006, mm-hmm. February 2006. It's the first time he'd ever given it. In fact, he kind of said, oh, I hope I get this right. Yeah, you know? he's
0: riffing. Yeah, he's yeah. riffing. Yeah. And, he,
1: and it was a brilliant presentation. And I turned to my editor who was next to me, and I said, tomorrow, start investigating this. Yeah, He says, why? I said, Everything is right. I said, wait a minute. There wasn't a single rebuttal to anything. He just has one theory, and he presents evidence only for that one theory. That's not possible. It's just physically not possible. There has to be other. This is before we did the... Uh, Beyond interview, I said it has to be other views. I said he's a lawyer; he's advocating his case. Well, this editor didn't want to do it; he didn't stay much longer. Uh, he left of his own volition, and, I, and then I started hiring people to look into it. And of course, the, well, there was another side. Mm-hmm. And that is science. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have gotten anywhere if people weren't right. challenging things. Right. You know? um So, so it struck me. That we've become intellectually and emotionally lazy, and spiritually lazy. But
0: also the issue, like of the, the evolution of publishing, the, the the reality of the internet, the, the sort of, you know, the monetization of what you grew up in and what your father mm-hmm. grew up in, of units and 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 the power of uh, of a magazine or of, of that type. Well, of magazines report. had exclusive audiences. Right. We don't have that now. Well, now we don't have any, hardly any context at all. Right. And and it seems that you know, sort of, some of the stuff you're talking about about this. Um, uh, immaturity reactionary thinking uh y- you know contempt and attack prior to investigation uh is 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 sort of uh, the outlet of almost anybody that the the internet has provided access for anybody to comment on anything anonymously right. quickly and possibly destroy people right absolutely so like you know somebody who is uh, like yourself who is um Kind of lived through you know you know personal attacks and, and being crucified for other reasons and also you know been in the ring journalistically there's got to be you know how do you you, you sort of reconcile the the, the evolution of of, of uh, DIY publishing you know internet access lack of boundaries personally and otherwise and and this sort of uh, destructive force that that is I mean you know We have an entire generation that that is indicative of what you're saying. You know, spiritually, uh, morally, and intellectually bankrupt or lazy.
1: Or both, yeah.
0: Yeah, that that are really going to dictate the course of culture. I mean, I've been doing some reading. For a while. Okay. For a while.
1: Let's go back to what Obama said so brilliantly. You know, democracy grows slowly. Incrementally. Incrementally. um, He did say it better than me. (laughs) Uh, Incrementally. And slowly, that means. Well, so does media. You know, you go back to the uh, early 1900s. Uh-huh. Uh, newspapers were as out there as the Internet is today. There was no regulations. There was no, no sense of what could be libel or mm-hmm. slanderless. Whatever sold is what they printed. Uh, and we evolved as a media to um, bring in the notion of slander and libel and say, you know, really, you, just, you, you have to not act this way. Um, and, you know, the rampant untruth that was the core of media 100 uh, years ago uh, did have to be mollified and, 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 you know, taken care of so that it wasn't
0: there had to be some sort of uh, 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 well, like regulations, st- and structure, like laws, yeah. right,
1: and structure. And, and by the way, and then the, the sort of it got calibrated by the people's reaction. Eventually, people said, "You know what? This is this isn't the whole story. Right. This is unfair." And you know, I make up my own mind. But so media change, you know, from those very tabloidy newspapers that make today's papers look like the you know the, the hymnal at mass. Um, so that that's not a new story in a way. We have a new technology, so it's a new story for our generation. And I think it's, you know, going to eventually again recalibrate. People are going to get tired of this. I think people can get tired of the the bashing. You know, we've become very similar. We don't like to hear this. We don't like to think about this. But today, we are very similar to the Taliban. We have one prescribed opinion. There's no deviating from that. We stone people to death as a mob, a faceless mob. Cowardly mobs stoning someone to death. Let me give you the most recent example. There's that, it's uh, on
0: both sides, though. So, I mean, there there, there are two opinions, but the, 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 the result is just more um, bashing. Yeah, there, more there's bashing. No, it's, you're there's right. no yeah, exactly.
1: debate. There's no real debate,
0: no honest debate. Right.
1: There's only this, you're wrong, and you're obviously a an Nazi.
0: And, and then some spin. Yeah. Well, because right. it just comes just... from the other side. You're wrong, and you're obviously a godless heathen who wants to kill right. babies.
1: Right, exactly. And, you know, it's, you see, it's very easy, therefore intellectually lazy to say, I'm for this, mm-hmm. X, right? Um, and somebody else says, well, yeah, I'm totally for that. Oh, you're an evil person. Mm-hmm. you know, totally for that. Right. Fill in X. It can be marriage equality. It can be sexism. It can be, uh, you know, gender discrimination. It can be all sorts of things. But whatever it is, I always say, in reality, there are two sides. Yeah. Uh, maybe one side is seventy-five percent, eighty percent. Undeniably, the best way to go, and maybe the other side. It's, it'll take a while for everybody to come to that. But you know, you should hear it, and and, and there are real concerns, and we should hear this. And but once be open are, to it,
0: it's. But the weird thing is, is once people are, or ideas are destroyed, that frame, that the, the hunger for for sort of um, aggravated justice and closure, in the form of uh, well a predatory. Uh, uh, journalism, if you're going to even call yeah. it that, is, is that you know once that frame is set, the retraction or the the sort of um, the, the 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 gaining back of one's reputation oh, it's is good. not as much of a story. No, and yeah, yeah, exactly. How
1: about this? How about the um, poor Nobel Prize-winning scientist, England? Somebody mm-hmm. Hunt, Doctor Hunt, Professor Hunt, whatever. Yeah, I can't remember his first name. Um, Nobel Prize-winning, yeah. seventy-two years old. Um. Universally loved in the scientific community, happened to have been from the early days a great advocate of bringing women along in the laboratory, brought many students in, uh, helped them become full fledged scientists. This mm-hmm. was not always the case, say, 30, 40 years ago, especially not in England. Um, and he has done this. And then he makes a joke at a conference and he says, The problem with women in labs is that the we fall in love with them. They fall in love with us, and they cry when you criticize them, for which he lost every one of his professorships at university, all his income. He was destroyed reputation-wise. He was destroyed employment-wise for that one remark, which, if you break it down, is hardly I- inflammatory. Mm-hmm. In, you know, people said it was a silly remark. Well, I'm not even just totally sure. It climbs to the... Bar of stupid I, I think it was obviously an in you know an inappropriate remark but but he is destroyed
0: Inappropriate in that you know he you know no matter how good he was to women his yeah. ideas of the dynamic of men and women was old Do you know
1: what i'm not going to say it's inappropriate i'm gonna retract it's it. it's not I, inappropriate i, I, it's I don't think it's inappropriate old. Well, yes it's it, well it, it's it is it is old yes because today the culture is a little different but um the offense taken was that they cry at criticism well, you know, a lot of people cry at criticism, men and women. Uh, and the, if the worst thing said about me in my life was that I cried at criticism, which, by the way, I have done. I remember once my father criticized me when I was a young man, forceful for something I had done, and I did
0: cry. But it's interesting. But I don't know if that's the worst criticism you can have. But he prefaced the comment by, you know, we fall in love with each other, so then it becomes an emotional relationship. He met his wife in the lab. Right, but it becomes an emotional relationship, so it's not about the criticism. See, like, if you really deconstruct that, that... That, that what he said it, you know, as far as men and women in relationships go, if he said that outside of the context of the lab but he set it up properly which is that we're, you know, the, it, it, the, the relationship has been convoluted by emotion Right, exactly so, That's horrible but,
1: And he's destroyed, destroyed you know, no universe, they all dropped him within a minute of a week the Newspapers like The Guardian beat on him five articles a day four articles to the sell day. papers
0: yeah what well, is it to sell online clicks by the way because it was online see I but that's the problem what it. do you how do you fucking reconcile that shit i mean at least with a paper there was a little time in between yeah so maybe someone could get a fucking word in
1: right exactly well i read a lot of these articles because i was so horrified but i read the comments and the people would just be you know he should be you know he should be, you know, he should be thrown out we should take him from the record to take away his nobel prize it's like the man didn't didn't say anything terrible Let's face it. Let's just be real. It's not a terrible comment. He didn't call them sluts.
0: Did you write an editorial? Did you no, do anything?
1: I, 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 I don't have the outlet right now. If I had to spin, I'd have written the editorial immediately. But, um, but any, I just want to, counter, scary, I want to counter that with the same paper about two weeks earlier did a news item which said that um, a woman barrister in England was found to have lied about her ex-boyfriend raping her. And the boyfriend was in jail and had gone to jail for this accusation of rape. Ex-boyfriend. And the, so they said, well, you know, now she's going to be prosecuted and she'll go to jail. And he got released. There wasn't a single word again, not a single editorial saying, hey, that's pretty bad. You know, well, let's just we, we
0: beat up. What did that guy give up?
1: Yeah, I don't know. He gave, right. up. He gave, his, he gave his life. And right. His life can never be the same again. But I'm saying, look, that happened. That's not the Guardian's fault. But where is your indignation about that wrong? well, that's not a politically correct wrong because it involved something that's just not in the political correct so sphere. It's a, it's
0: a bit of a frightening thing. It, that, it's that. very frightening because I don't know what... You know, It'll what take
1: years for that. Did I answer your question a moment ago? It will take many years for that, to, that bad toxin to filter through the digestive system of our society. Eventually it will and we will excrete it and then we'll get back to a nice balance. I think that the internet is coming out of the phase of novelty. I think we've had it now 20 years you know, some people had it a little longer. You know, what I mean, it goes back probably 20, but 95 is when people started. But using. it's
0: just people sitting at work looking for headlines. And now you get yeah. these, you know, these 20 something journalists, quote unquote journalists, who are assigned to dig into a story, oh, yeah. even if it's a pre existing story, to find something salacious in order to tag it with.
1: Right, exactly. And so then, then that becomes be- social
0: media. That becomes the currency. dialogue.
1: Yeah. Currency, yeah, it, and, with, and that's because it clicks back to the site, which
0: clicks to advertising right, but, clicks. but, but, but how do comments. we, how
1: do you stop that? It's just that's it's, a big, it's, it's too big a question to answer ugh. because I don't know how we'll stop. I, Morbid I
0: fascination and fucking, you know, it, and it's it's malignant.
1: Well, it is, and you know, I think it's more destructive than we realize because I think it hurts us spiritually, and I also think it hurts us intellectually. What
0: creates a a, a, a culture of self censorship? Uh, that, 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 that stifles... It creates ing- ignorance. No. It creates and nourishes ignorance.
1: Because after a while, if that's all you're fed, that's what you believe. And, you know, to get back to something you asked me a little while ago, I think Spin was a vanguard. I think we, we, we represented our generation. I used to tell my editors, we worked for our readers. Yeah. We represented them. We, we guided them. That was an obligation to do and also a sacred duty for us. Yeah. I don't see much of that in today's media um, and, you know, I think it can come best from counterculture publishing, like Spin Now, which is only online, but they have the opportunity to do this. And I'm talking to these guys a lot and saying, hey, you know, go out and do big story. I want them to do a big story on Bill Cosby. I said, go do the big story. Let's have both sides. Okay, look, clearly we're going to conclude by his own words that he gave drugs to women and that's clearly uncool. But, you know, I want a context.
0: It's a little worse than uncool. Yes, no, no, it's terrible. (laughs) It's It's terrible.
1: But, you know, and I'm not looking to in any way exonerate him. But I'm saying, what? is the story who is bill Cosby? how is he gonna well, know, but
0: what well, see the thing is is like it, it, it was like the first not the first rock star was like one of the first rock stars of tv of comedy he was a it's a, i talk to comics about it all the time how they are trying to reconcile the influence he had on on comedy right. and on them as a comic with this reality but how is he ever going to talk about it you think you no, can get somebody to no i don't get, think
1: he'll talk i think i think well, by the way, this purpose of this story that I'm suggesting is simply for Spin to
0: re-imprint itself on the public well, what's your, dialogue. Well, what, 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 as, how, how do you pitch that story? What do you assign?
1: I would assign, because it's not my magazine now, but I would assign who was the young Bill Cosby of this time. He was, in effect, an out-of-control rock star. Mm-hmm. He was the Mick Jagger of television. Forget comedy. I Spy was the biggest show at the time. You know, it was a yeah, very okay, big show, yeah. him and Robert Culp. And he was the first leading... Uh, character on a TV show who was black. And he was very, you know, handsome, right. and he was an f- athlete, he was a tennis player, all that. So, you know, he was a rock star. Well, I'm not saying this exonerates him. I'm just saying, give us the story. Because do you know what? An awful lot of people reading about Bill Cosby have no idea, except for the little blurb that said he was the Cosby show. He's got, he's got an interesting trajectory, and it's a flawed one. It's Greek tragedy. It's Greek tragedy, but at least Greek tragedy gives you an arc. You're going to have to go farther back arc.
0: than his success. Absolutely. I mean, you know, d- you know to, to to sort of act out on a desire to have sex with incapacitated women. I have women. a theory. I, yeah. My theory is he has a
1: performance issue. Well, sure. Okay, I mean, you wouldn't can't, psychopathologize I'm not, him. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not f- no, excusing no, no, this, I but I think he probably has some physical image and imp- imp- impediment, and that's how he compensated. That's my theory. Um, but the point is, journalism journalism should be more complete it shouldn't just be one top line and then everybody has to get behind that and push it like a rock uphill i think journalism tells us about ourselves at its best
0: the, but the interesting thing journalistically is if you, the investigation into not even empathetically but to try to you know put him into context or somehow uh, not even explain but make understandable uh, his crime yeah, I know
1: I just want to fill out the biography
0: right so so but still like what you don't get in that story is justice It's not um, Not that that's necessary It's in journalism. not reachable in right. this case The
1: most controversial stuff. It's been over the years yeah. was the AIDS column, right? Which is incredibly controversial because we you said guys
0: ran it every week I mean you were in month, the middle yeah. of it every month. Every month yeah
1: for hundred and twenty issues c- and we never once had to publish a correction we got our facts right. I
0: mean, not do really we agree with our opinions. Because I remember what started with AZT, right?
1: That's such a great memory you got, man. Phenomenal, yeah. yeah. We, we were the first people to say, hey, look, AZT is worse than AIDS. Because AZT is guaranteed right. to kill you. There are people living with AIDS, and there are people living with HIV who haven't developed AIDS. But you take AZT, you will die in one to two years. As a result of our journalism, we actually um, brought about the pretty much international... Uh, media paying attention to the story and coming to the same conclusion, which brought about the end of prescribing AZT. Right. It was it was a it was an old cancer drug on the shelf that got abandoned because it was too deadly. Right. Uh, and then when AIDS came up, they said, "Well, these people are going to die anyway. Let's try this."
0: Let's see if it's, it works. And and
1: it, and and it became a great seller because they had no research cost. Uh, and desperate know, people. And desperate people it was a perfect storm. So the stuff I'm actually proudest of is the AZT articles we ran and some of the AIDS columns we ran. That was all very controversial stuff. But I think, you know, going back to just personality journalism, even you know, context teaches us about ourselves. We learn from that kind of narrative and biography. Where's the arc of a narrative? That's what's important. That's what's missing. And part of that is the immediacy of the web as a business dictates. Right. People must get out there fast.
0: Yeah, and get the whole get 19, a story In fast. 1988,
1: I went on the Jesse Jackson campaign. Yeah. And I uh, did an article about Jesse Jackson. And I was doing a monthly magazine article. So I wasn't filing my report after each campaign stop. And, and I kept on the plane the full day, and I saw four or five campaign stops. And I realized he not only said the same thing, but he had the exact same gimmicks, at the exact same time somebody brought little yeah, children. Yeah, an act. Yeah, an act. Yeah. An act. Exactly right. It's like when you were doing stand-up, right. you did your act, and you yeah. had your same little motions and your same moments when you caught the but crowd. You,
0: you want to try to riff a little.
1: Yeah. Well, I think he riffed one or two bits. But it, w- but it was an act and it was preordained. And I wrote about that. Yeah. And the others didn't because they had to file a What he said in Sacramento this minute, that was 1988 before the internet. Right. Uh, because of the immediacy, the uh, urgency to publish. Well, today with the internet, that's. Amplified by
0: 10. Well, th- what happens is it doesn't function in linear time. No. It's everything all at once. Right. And and a day is, you, you know, like anything that, that t- gets traction in the media, you know, they know it's like, well, this thing probably doesn't have legs. It's going to burn out. It's going to be a global... Hashtag right. For 48 hours right. And then it's done Right And and then they Can you find some more Sorted shit on this Because right. we like to make it go Another two or three days With some clickbait exactly bait. right Yeah Whereas like What you're talking about Is when you had a monthly magazine Or even You know A, a, a weekly column In a newspaper Or an investigative piece That required time mm-hmm. Is that you had the time To do it And there right. was none of this Sort of like Well people are going to forget What do you mean It was last week Exactly It's over Exactly it, Yeah so Where's
1: the context That's exactly my point. And the context is what nourishes us as a society. It's what enriches us. It's the nuance. It's the ability to say, you know, yeah, all right, this person, you know, today, what would happen to President Kennedy today in social media when he got known for his first affair? Right. You know, I mean, there's a lot more went on with that man. He didn't do everything wrong. He did some good things. And that's perhaps a bit extreme example. And, and now
0: the only reason that people look for the arcs you're talking about is to create a stronger rope to hang somebody with usually. Often, yeah. So often like, too. Well, so you've got two sides. I mean, the, the idea that there's only one point of view, I, I think, is a, a not quite – I don't quite agree with what you're saying there. There are conflicting opinions. There is you know, a, a sort of a cultural momentum on one side or the other, but both of them are looking to tear the other one down mm-hmm. and to tear the other one's heroes down. So anyone's going to investigate what you want in the arc. You're you're looking to sort of like, well, who is Bill Cosby? And and most people, no one's looking to defend that guy, obviously. But everybody's right, yeah, looking I, to I hang know. him higher. That's right. You know, it, no, I know you're not. But the idea of, of of creating at least that that unbiased, balanced reporting around right. it, yeah. so so people can at least see the fucking you know sicko as a human. Right. And not just this guy that was a big star, because now, because here's the tricky thing with that is that you've got people that grew up with his comedy, mm-hmm. and you can't take that away from people. You, All a person can do who loved Bill Cosby is is reconcile in his own heart and mind right. and live with it. Does, now, does that individual then say, like, well, none of his comedy's any good anymore? Right. It's a hard thing to say. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, it's true. You're actually saying something for instance, because you're saying these people are going to get um, airbrushed out of history. Uh, that's you know, right Cosmetic.
0: And they want and, to airbrush him Out of their and, mind Is the I, political correct element yeah. Is like Not only does he get Airbrushed out of history You have to erase Your mind That's and right It's very well put Very well put And th- that's
1: not good for us As cultural society It's just not good for us No it's not good for you humans know, the, One of the worst Human beings apparently According to history mm-hmm. I mean according to uh, uh, Reports of people Who knew him Was Picasso Yeah a man who left His own children Standing outside the gate Because he was in the middle Of either having sex Or painting Either one didn't matter mm-hmm. He wouldn't interrupt either For his children And um, yet, what are we going to do, like not appreciate Picasso's painting and his impact on art? You know, there are a lot of people, Faulkner apparently, who's my favorite writer, William Faulkner, but he was an awful drunk, terrible of his kids, once said to his daughter, no one remembers William Shakespeare's daughter. And it's a pretty bad thing to say to your child, you know. And when I spent time in Oxford, I became very close friends with Dean Faulkner, who was William's niece, who William raised. And of course, I heard a lot more stories. He didn't sound like a nice guy greatest perhaps the greatest american writer of all time you know we are a richer country for faulkner writing what he wrote and that influencing other writers we're 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 a holistic culture you know well that's like
0: it's interesting that like because that's true you know you have great men that did great things and great women that did great things that may be morally dubious characters so so you know i think it's within the human spirit to to for each individual to have a way to to balance the two or to have their judgments. Right. But I think where you're talking about is the way any sort of ideology, whether it's, whether it's the political correct side or, or the, the right-wing side, is to is to historical revisionism, which is yeah. fundamentally fascistic, right. is that you have to erase the collective memory.
1: Yeah. What did the, East, what did, uh, the communists do in the East? Mm-hmm. You know, what do they do in places like but they, Czechoslovakia? It's an, it, it's and, an
0: imperative of peril, power on either side mm-hmm. is to, to annihilate the history – i agree yeah Yeah. i mean
1: there's which is by the way the important role the sacred role of journalism is to arrest that so is democracy yeah absolutely Uh, supposedly well democracy everybody uh will agree on this is founded on free speech Mm -hmm. free exchange of ideas and the ability for all to be all of that information to be available you know um look i I, uh, I love the internet, by the way, and I love internet media. My next venture is going to be an online um, publication uh, about travel called Wonderlust. I'm excited about it, incredibly excited about it, uh, as excited as my current venture with the, the bookazine that you have yeah. in front of you. And we have many more copies coming up, many more issues. I'm excited about both those things equally. I love the internet. I love the fact that you can reach more people more
0: easily by the medium the internet why how come why you should be saving journalism bob i mean I, well wait. i
1: want to i want to oh well yeah i don't think my travel site is going to save journalism <laughs> um but hopefully it's going to work okay <laughs> you know but uh no i would love very much to in all seriousness i'd love very much to be part of an effort to save journalism and i uh, and i hope other people feel that way because it's vital it's absolute it's the oxygen of a society Yep. And, um, you know, journalism, with all due respect to the Gawkers and BuzzFeeds of the world, is not the thing that is most salacious, most get right up your nose, that yeah. moment. It's not, it's not the cocaine of salacious uh, tabloidy news. Yeah. It actually should be holistic. It should be a lot of things. And I don't just mean that in the sort of, oh, it's got to be pure and, you know, name of the father and the son and all that. No, like, I like entertainment journalism. You do. This is entertainment journalism. Right now, your show... Um, and, but, but the truth is the truth, and the truth is whole. And it's full and I think we're all served it, better by it, being
0: able to see it whole and full and sometimes it's, it takes time yeah to it get does that it, it
1: does it does and ultimately ultimately I believe this will settle and even the internet will all take right. time
0: all right well I I, I will take that as uh, optimistic uh, l- a look at the possibility of incremental growth and for us to uh, to level off and and, uh, and, and, and and take the time to have our own thoughts and opinions about things based on yes. truth yes all right, yes fine. how well put Thank thanks you for, so much for having yeah, me. Thanks for talking. So that's Bob Guccione back on top of it. Doing the thing. Making a living. Being Bob Guccione Jr. What's up? We all right? Go to WTFpod.com for all your WTF pod needs. Get some just coffee.co to get the WTF blend to go little something on the back end. Check the calendar, get on the mailing list, I'll send you a thing. You can check uh, my dates. You can read the blog post. You can listen to the episode. It's all there. It's all there, man. It's all there. Oh my God. What are we going to do? I'll play a little guitar. I'll do it.